Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. I want you to find John chapter 5 and and we're going to look at the third miracle that Jesus does and there might be a little bit of connection eventually. Third miracle that Jesus does in chapter 5 and we'll read that in a moment is uh, the healing of a man who has been invalid, who had been sick for 38 years and it was at a place called the pool of Bethesda. To remind you that the Pool of Bethesda is a real place. In fact, hopefully we've got some pictures. Um, this is the ruins of the Pool of Bethesda. If you go to, to Jerusalem, it's one of the places every group ends up at the Pool of Bethesda. It's a real place. There was a pool. There was an underground spring. And the water came up. And, and it was kind of artesian in nature. And there would be bubbles at times. And there was kind of a, a, a superstition that when some of those bubbles would come up, There was the thought, oh, an angel has touched the water, and if you got in the water right away, you could be healed. We don't know how that played out, but but you go, and it's uh, some of those ruins have been uh, built in recent years, Uh, but it's a real place where Jesus met a man and where he healed him and the events that occurred that occur in this place. That's actually the water, and it's still water. There's still water in the pool of Bethesda, and right next door... Uh, is what's called the Church of St. Anne. This is the outside of the Church of St. Anne. The pool is just right there. And it was built uh, during the time of uh, Constantine's mother, Queen Elena, uh, to commemorate the miracle. And consequently, this has been a place where people have come to pray for healing. And if you go on the inside, this is the last picture, uh, it is one of the acoustic wonders of the world. Sorry, Luke, we don't need sound systems there. Uh, it is fabulous. And every time we visited, Karen and I have been there four times, uh, there's always groups that sing. In fact, one of the times one of our daughters uh, sang uh, Amazing Grace there. And, oh, just fabulous singing. But it's a place that acknowledges that we have a Savior who can heal. And so let me just read through John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and maybe we'll get to a phrase that has some things for us today. And there's, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which was a five-roofed colonnade. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there and had been an invalid for 38 years. And we don't know what his crippling was, what his, but he was invalid, he was unable to move, and he was there and had been that way for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am going down, the another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, I want to 
stop there for a minute and just talk about this phrase. First of all, the question, do you want to be healed? Now, doesn't that immediately kind of say, well, duh, I've been here for 38 years, 38 years I've been in this condition, probably based on the length of time, that'd been maybe his whole life, he may have been born as an invalid, it may have hurt him early, but pretty much his entire life, he had been crippled and Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? (laughs) But maybe that's not such a strange question. If he was healed, the first thing he's probably got to do is for the first time in his life, go out and get a job. First time in his life, he's going to have to support himself. A man who'd been living on the mercy and the generosity of other people. Whatever his was going to happen, if Jesus healed him, he was life was never going to be the same. It was going to be a change. And the bottom line is, a lot of times, individuals grow very comfortable in the condition they are in, even if it's not the best condition. In fact, I don't even understand it. I I can't grasp it, but there are individuals who are in circumstances of abuse and difficulties and, and situations that they just simply become so set and so comfortable where they are that the thought of changing, even if it's a change for the better, is actually more scary than staying the way they are. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And it's interesting, he doesn't actually say yes. What he says is, well, every time I want to get down in the water, somebody beats me to it. And we have no idea how many days in his life he had come to the pool, how long he had been there, but he had been in one situation and circumstance. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, well, I... I, It hadn't happened so far, and he never actually says yes, but then Jesus says to him, take up your bed and walk. There's a lot of debate, and it's not really clear in the text. What was the actual process that it happened? Was he healed, and then he got up? Or was he healed as he started to get up? In other words, Jesus said, here's what you got to do. Take up your bed and walk. He's, he's laying on a bed. He's crippled. We don't know what it's like. But at some moment, there's an element where he says, okay, in his mind, and he tries to use those muscles that evidently don't allow him to walk and have not allowed him to get up and carry anything for all of those years. And at some moment, there is an element of faith, maybe a very small amount of faith. I kind of think as soon as he tried, he was healed. As soon as he began to use the muscles, they became strong. As soon as he began to stand up, the hand of God, the power of God, entered that body that had been crippled for all of those years, and there was healing, and he was able to stand up, and he was able to take his bed, and he was able to walk. Now today, there's just simply a a pretty good application. The first application for this passage is, is pretty straightforward. Today it may be here and you are in a circumstance that we just would say is not good. It could be that you're lost, that you've never really come to know Jesus Christ and you have an eternal destiny that is not the right one. And Jesus might very well be saying this morning, I want to heal you. I want to heal your future. I want to heal your eternity. I want to heal the sin of your heart. I want to forgive you. And right now there is that opportunity to be healed. It may be... And we believe that Jesus still heals. 
We know that God still does miracles, and it could very well be that Jesus, in some other physical situation or some spiritual situation, something that has been a part of your life and maybe has limited you and crippled you and held you in some sort of of crippling state, some fear, some habit, some attitude, something that is a part of your life that you know is not appropriate and is not right, and Jesus would be here and he would say, you came in that way, you don't have to leave church today that way. That literally he would say, I'm ready to heal you. Do you want to be healed? Now, it involves maybe some faith to say, yes, Lord, I I want to be healed. Maybe it's the faith to come to the altar to pray or ask someone else to pray for you. Or maybe it's the faith to say, Lord, I am ready to let go of this sin in my life. I'm, I'm ready to no longer be under this addiction or under this crippling thing. I want to be different. And Jesus today would say, do you want to be healed And in that simple moment, he could allow you, he could work in your heart or my life, and there could be a healing. That's the first and maybe the most important thing that Jesus today is still in the nature of healing. 2,000 years ago, there was an event that occurred in a place, in a specific moment, in the life of a specific individual, and his life was changed And by the way, it wasn't just changed, I don't believe, for that physical time until he died. I think it was changed forever. So that's the first part. Then it gets a little complicated. This whole story has a little bit of drama in that it happens on the Sabbath. So let's go on a little bit farther. Now, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Um, By the way, I just, I think about this. You know there are, not everybody in Jerusalem obeyed every bit of the law. There were folks carrying stuff everywhere. By the way, there were probably somebody who carried this man and his bed to the pool that morning. I mean, this was going all along, but for some reason, there were some religious people who felt it was their mercy, their, their gift, to point out that he was doing something he wasn't supposed to do. And evidently, they weren't doing it with a very gracious state. Now, to be honest, in the Bible, the Bible does say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and part of that, the Bible says you're not supposed to work. And, and there was a deal where both Nehemiah and Jeremiah actually talk about keeping the Sabbath holy and talk about bearing burdens on the Sabbath day when you need to be giving your time to prayer and to worship and to other kinds of things. And then in the extra law, the, the, the Talmud where they kind of tried to explain it, there are like 617 uh, special laws that tell you what you can do and you can't do. And specifically, are there are kinds of things you could carry on the Sabbath and you couldn't carry on the Sabbath. And uh, carrying a bed was one of the things you couldn't do. And so they said, hey, it's the Sabbath, you shouldn't be carrying that bed. And actually, in the law, it says if somebody breaks that law, they are liable to stoning. So the guy's scared. And he says... I'm just doing what this guy told me to do. This, this guy, and he doesn't even know his name. He doesn't know. And Jesus has kind of backed out of the crowd as soon as he healed him. And the guy just says, 
this man healed me and he told me to do it. It's pretty obvious I'm doing what he told me to do. And then later he finds out that it was Jesus. And Jesus comes to him, and we'll read that in a moment as well. And he goes back to them and he tells them that it's Jesus. And then they suddenly are mad at Jesus. So let's go ahead and read the rest. It is the Sabbath, verse uh, uh, 10, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Kind of feels like he was informing on Jesus. But maybe he was still just so excited that he'd been healed, he wanted them to know. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Well, so he's healed, and he says, he told me. And there's this conversation, and, and as far as the observing of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath you could give medical treatment if it was an emergency. If somebody was wounded, you could stop the bleeding. If somebody had an emergency, but this guy had been sick for how long? 38 years. It was not an emergency. When Jesus healed him, that was a violation of the law because it was an emergency medical treatment. And do you see the irony of this? That now, instead of rejoicing that a man who'd been crippled for 38 years could now get up and walk, and he could get a job, he could go about it, he could do all of these things, they're just angry that Jesus did it on the Sabbath. I've also thought that phrase, do you want to be healed, was not just for the man. Because I'm sure when they were interviewing the man, they wanted to know everything that Jesus said. We know that Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, because he told him, I'm going to guess that he eventually said to me, well, I was just laying there, and, and this guy came up and said, do you want to be healed? And, and then he said, take up your bed and walk, and I'm sure that message got to the religious leaders. Do you understand there's kind of a big picture here? And this may be the second application, that there are people of faith who understand who God is, who say they believe in God, who are believers and followers and believe if you ask them that, yes, God could heal. But in this moment when God has sent the greatest and the most significant ultimate portion of healing into the world that is ever in existence because it didn't come the way they thought it ought to come, it didn't happen in the way they thought, it didn't fill all of their little boxes, they ended up missing the greatest action of God in the world that ever occurred. Jesus came in not just to heal men. He came to heal hearts. He came to heal the world. He came to heal the nation. And there was a whole group of religious leaders who ended up missing it because they were so comfortable in the way they were that any change from what they had done was more than they could accept. I... I think sometimes when we have been believers for a long time, we get kind of comfortable in our ways. 
Once upon a time, I was a young pastor. I, I really was. I, I got pictures to show. I mean, we don't have videotape anymore, but I really was a young pastor. And, and I remember going to my first church, and, and I had some senior adults, and doggone it, they didn't want to change anything. They wanted everything just the way it had been, and they wanted to always do that. And, and I remember as a young pastor saying, darn, those folks are stuck in their ways. Man, if they'd just be open to God doing something new that maybe they'd never, wouldn't that be exciting? Well, guess what? I woke up the other day, and that's me now. <laughs> that I've become comfortable, I've become something. I mean, I like old songs. I do, because I grew up with those old songs, and, and I'm kind of comfortable the way we've always done things. And, and you do know that seven last words of any church are, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> But you understand, we have a God who's in the business of constantly doing new things. Who's constantly ready to unleash His power. And, and here is the greatest step of God where God sent His Son into the world to heal the world. And it's religious people who are missing it. And for the most part, because it's not coming the way they thought it ought to come. There's just something challenging about that. I, I, I don't know if I've told you or not, in Effingham, in the church minutes, there's a, a great story about in a business meeting, and the, uh, uh, they, were, they made a motion, BYPU was Baptist Young People's Union. That was the youth group. And there was a motion in a business meeting to change the meeting of BYPU from Sunday night to Wednesday night. And it passed. And then the very next week, there was a special called business meeting, and a motion was made to change it back to the night it had been. And after much discussion, that motion passed, and then I loved the church clerk. This was like 1920. The church clerk recorded, at the end of the business meeting, the pastor called for a round of fellowship handshaking, and then included the phrase, not everyone participated. <laughs> you understand that sometimes we get so set in our ways the way everything happens and this is the way it's got to be and this is the way it's got to be and, and actually most church splits are usually not over big things, spiritual things, theological things. It's because I don't like the color of the carpet or I don't like this or I don't like that. And, and maybe there is a message, this tragedy that these religious leaders hear this phenomenal hand and act of God and they can't accept it and they miss it because it didn't come with way they were comfortable. Well, it may be that you may get a new pastor one of these days. I'm hoping you do. I'm getting kind of tired driving down here. It's time. But you know what? If you get a new pastor, my guess is your church may be suggested to do some things different in the days ahead than you've done in the past. In fact, my guess is when your last pastor came today, you're doing stuff different than you did 10 years ago. And certainly I know you're doing stuff different than you did 50 years ago. I mean, you understand that as God works in the life of his people, there are always new and more powerful ways usually tied to something he wants to do. And the second application is be absolutely certain as the body of Christ that you are open to whenever God says, it's time to take this bed up and it's time to walk. It's time to do something different. It's time to go in a new direction. I think there's a second application there. Let me step back over here for a second. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. Do you want to be healed? That's a tough question for us. We know who we have been as a nation in the past. And I think we need to certainly be praying for our country and, and, and we need to be praying for the hand of God. But understand, anytime God acts, things cannot remain as they were. In that great prayer and that word from Second Chronicles that we quote so often, there's a really big word. It's the word if. And in it, there is also that word, turn from our wicked ways. When we pray for our country, What we ultimately have to do is pray for a spirit of repentance, a spirit of revival, a spirit of God to work in the hearts of men and women and change literally who we are. Now, will everyone ever repent and will everyone ever turn? We know there will always be those who will turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the hand of God, just like the the leaders did in this picture. But we still keep praying. And I will just tell you, when it comes to praying and wanting our nation to be healed, wanting a hand of God to work, wanting God to do something, I think we pray for that spirit of repentance. But a part of that prayer is that you and I also need to pray, and God, as for me and my part, as for me and my house, as for me and my place, I'm a citizen and I will do everything I can to be faithful to you. I'm spending a lot more time when I think about praying for our country, about biblical passages that talk about a remnant. There's an awful lot of Old Testament stuff about the nation of Israel being close to God and turning away from God and having a revival and turning back to God. But there's also always this thing that says God can still bless a nation if there are some who choose to be faithful. And so today on this weekend... Shoot some fireworks, legal or illegal, that's up to you. Watch some fireworks, cook out, do some other things. But I hope this weekend you will spend some time praying for healing in our nation. I think God really does want to heal people, churches, nations. I think the power of God is available. I think there can be a revival But it will, and I I think back about that Finney thing when when he said the future, the, the, the nation will either be cursed or blessed and that blessing and that curse depends on the ways that the people of God, the Christians in the nation conduct themselves. Well, come back over here. Try and separate those things a little bit. So three applications so far. One, that you may personally be here today and and be in need of a healing, a work of God in your heart, in your life, in in your home. As a church, there has to be this openness that says, Lord, we... We want to be healed. If there's anything wrong, we want it to be fixed. And Lord, if there's something we can do that we've never done before, if you've got places for us to go and things for us to do that we've never done before, Lord, you just say the word. You tell us to pick it up and put it down and go and come and whatever you ask of us, Lord, even if it makes us uncomfortable, 
even if they don't do it the way we always did it before, we're going to be open. And we're going to be praying for a country. But, but there's one final little thing that I just thought today. And I hadn't seen this, but in verse 16, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And the, the verb there is one of those weird Greek tenses which means he was evidently doing it all the time. In other words, he was doing it and he was continuing to do it. John only records seven miracles, but evidently he also says Jesus did a lot of stuff, but basically some versions say he was continually healing people on the Sabbath. So in other words, this was not a new thing for Jesus. And when the word got around is, he's been doing that over and over and over. So let me just tell you the final point today is evidently Jesus has a really good deal with doing miracles on the Lord's day. And this happens to be the Lord's day. Oh, I know the whole Friday and Saturday through Saturday, the Sabbath. And I, but I like the idea that evidently Jesus, of all the days of the week, liked doing unique things, liked touching people's hearts, changing people's lives. He liked doing it on the Sabbath. And this seems like the Sabbath to me. And I know that it's kind of a strange day. It's the holiday weekend, and John wore his big tie with all the stuff on it. And some of you didn't recognize him, thought we had a different guy leading worship. And, and I understand we're not having church tonight. And I understand we got things cooking out and other things planned. And I understand there's all of these other things. And we're thinking about our country. And we're thinking about some of the discouraging things in our country. I understand all of that, but you understand this is still the Lord's day. And we have a God, we have a Savior who has a habit, who continually, regularly, evidently almost prefers to work and do miraculous things on the Sabbath. There may be something that's crippling you, something in your past, something in your present, maybe some sin, maybe some habit, maybe some physical burden that you've been carrying, maybe something going on, but whatever it is, today may be the day that Jesus walks up to you in your pew and says, are you ready to be healed? Are you ready for me to do something miraculous in your life? Are you ready for me to, to help you move and do something you've never done before. He may be saying it to the church. I certainly think he is saying to our nation, do you want to be healed? And not everybody's going to say yes, but hopefully there are some of us who would say with conviction in our hearts, we want the healing of Jesus for our nation. But right now, Jesus may have something he wants to do in your heart or my heart on this Lord's Day. One of the best things that ever happened to me was a mission trip to Kazakhstan. We went to speak and work with Baptist churches, Russian-speaking Baptist churches. And in every church we were at, there were individuals who at some point under communist rule prior to the freeing of those states, in every single church, there were individuals who had spent time in prison because of their faith. In every church we're in, there are individuals who had had Bibles confiscated by the government. Let me just tell you, they understood the freedom 
of religion, the freedom of worship, the freedom of being able to live out and speak their faith. And it put a whole new different perspective on it for me. I personally think the one greatest political issue, and I understand there's big ones, but it really is religious freedom. That was what the founding fathers said first of all other things when they started talking about the Bill of Rights, the one they said we need to make sure we don't lose, the one to make sure we need to protect, we never need to stop and never get involved in, we need, we need to keep that safe, is the freedom of religion. Well, hope we're going to do that. Hope we're going to celebrate the freedoms we have, and we do have them today. Father, we do play for our nation, and we are not blind to the, the things that are going on that are not pleasing to you. And Lord, we pray for a kind of healing, and we understand that it's not a healing that's going to come probably at the ballot box. It's not a healing that's probably going to come in Congress or out of Washington or Springfield or, or any other legislative place. It's a healing that's going to come from you alone. And it's going to be working in the hearts of all. But Father, we'd ask you to first work in our hearts. That then you might work in the hearts of a lost country, a lost world, a lost nation in need of healing. Father, bless us and bless our nation with your presence and your work and your healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com.